Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. What weather app do you use? Uh, I use Fahrenheit on the uh, iPad. Jesus Christ, I'm gone for 20 seconds and it's already nerd talk. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. And I'm David Pissarro from Cornell University. You don't look like no rootin', tootin', son of a bitch and cold-blooded assassin. Say what? All right, so today we're trying something a little bit different. We are going to talk about a movie. A lot of people don't know this, but before Clint Eastwood made his star-making turn in the Republican (laughs) National Convention, he was a well-known film actor and director. And Unforgiven, is that his last Western? Is that his last movie in that genre? I think it's his most recent Western. I hope it's not his last. Really, you think he's gonna he's gonna come up with something that pops? <laughs> I don't know. I think the Obama chair thing might have been uh, <laughs> his swan song, unfortunately. But this movie is, uh, and we've all just seen it. We've all seen it within the last couple of days. Uh, Yoel, oh, uh, uh, we have uh, something when else. Say, when you say we've all seen it, you're referring to the fact that today we we're, we have a three way going. Today joining us we have Yoel Imbar from Tilburg University, although he is currently you're currently in Philadelphia right now, right? At, at yeah, that's right. I'm visiting Philadelphia for the year. Right. So anyway, uh, yeah. You're at Tilburg full time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Tamler really it? does his research on our guests. It's uh, you've been to Utrecht, right? Yes. It's about an. That's hour where time. I did my mediocre TEDx talk. Yeah, I watched that TEDx talk. Actually. <laughs> I watched that mediocre TEDx talk. It, it was it was half a pity watch. I have to admit, but. Uh... <laughs> hey, pity watch is better than no watch. Right, that's what I figured. It's like pity sex. Yep, yep. It's still a lot better than nothing. So yeah, if you take the train south for about an hour from Utrecht, uh, you get to Tilburg. So uh, right by the Belgian border. Very nice town. Very nice. Yep. So, so Yoel is a, a fellow sort of uh, psychology, philosophy, film nerd, and uh, we thought we need help, especially given yeah. some recent feedback. <laughs> <laughs> we finally got negative feedback. No, uh, really? Yeah, yeah, we got somebody who complained about jokes that we were joking about prison rape. Yeah. Um, oh, you finally uh, offended somebody. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, Jesus Christ, what does it take, people? Can somebody I, be offended out there? I mean, I, I have to agree that, that it is offensive. Those jokes are offensive. But what I'm puzzled about is that, that he or she lasted 
that long and that it was the prison rape jokes that was the, just the line. That like, of all right. of the jokes that we've made, somehow... Right. The, the, the straw like, that broke the camel's back. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is that uh, I think we both made it clear that we're firmly opposed to prison. Rape. I, I thought I was anti-prison rape the whole time. Yeah, no, in fact, that was the whole point, right? <laughs> so, yeah, no, I don't totally get that, but it's nice that we finally got a negative comment. Uh, right, right. So now we know it wasn't just, like, our relatives leaving comments. <laughs> <laughs> leaving nice comments. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, the, our listeners might also know Yoel because he left a review on Very Bad Wizard on iTunes, which said how attractive dave was relative <laughs> to me i think i made the yeah, right right it wasn't yeah. so much that dave was i didn't say that dave was attractive no, i just that's said true. he was much more attractive than you are right. <laughs> relative <laughs> re- relative right. to me but 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 it was it was a compliment to me it, it the, the refreshing humility i show by being willing to <laughs> right. have a show I'm, with him and thereby inviting the comparison yeah. it was one of the easiest 10 bucks you all's ever made though <laughs> yeah <laughs> So that's why we need our listeners to, to like us on Facebook, leave reviews, good or bad. That's it. Well, let's talk, let's talk about Unforgiven. And, and, and the goal of this, to the extent that we have any well-thought-out goals, is to really delve a little bit into some of the underlying themes that relate to moral psychology. Right, because we're not and, movie critics. And ethics. <laughs> we are not movie critics. We, I kind of wish I were sometimes, but I'm not. Let's start with the whole scene that gets the, the, the narrative in motion, the story in motion, which, which is a pretty brutal scene where the prostitute is being cut up. Well, it God, starts all it? gravy. It's all gravy. It starts with the fucking part. It starts with the actual, like... That's right. That's right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you hear screams in the other room. No. Yeah, so uh, quick, Mike. quick Mike and Davey... Quick Mike. <laughs> and she's laughing at him because... He has a really small pecker. <laughs> Great touch. Yeah, small pecker. Yeah, that's and why. That, yeah, and that'll actually come back later in the movie uh, with the whole just, duck of death thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, this really is just a movie about penises, actually. Yep. <laughs> it is. So, so, yeah, she giggles. She lets out a giggle. She can't help it. She doesn't know any better, according to Alice. Uh, and, well, I mean, kind of, let's, let's hold on a minute here. I do not know any better. <laughs> well, look, it could be a reflex, right? It could be an impulse. We know. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't buy the I don't know any better excuse. I think that's somebody every, something everybody knows. <laughs> All right, fine. So, so you want to blame, blame the problem. You all want to blame the problem. <laughs> you all, you all actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay, we'll just mark that down as you all's official position. Oh, man. <laughs> Along with Dave being pro-prison rape. <laughs> I had a prison rape jogathon. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, so yeah, so so and he really cut and he cuts her really badly. And Davy actually tries to get him off at first. Right, that's right. Uh, He's in there and, trying to trying to stop him, but he doesn't before he does a lot of damage. And then and then they catch them and they bring in Gene Hackman, Little Bill, who is the sheriff of the town. To try to decide what to do, and originally he just wants a bull whipping of of yeah. the two boys, which we again later find out is not a small thing to get bull whipped by little Bill. But then the owner of the brothel uh, and the saloon where the prostitutes work says no because you just cost me money. I paid for her. I shipped her over here, and he, like I pulls want... out the contract, right. 
Right. And so they 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 want horses. He wants horses instead as as compensation for what for for what they did to his business. That's the resolution, but not a satisfying one for the prostitutes. And so they want uh, the two of them killed, and right. they pool all their money together to kill both of them. So here you have your first the first question about what's the just thing to do, right? So so the guy cut up her face. Um, now they they were at first the prostitutes were like that's it just a whipping they wanted him dead right yeah. they they wanted both of them dead and so the, the first, or at least the, cut up yeah yeah right the the first no they wanted him the prostitutes wanted him hanged right from the very beginning yeah go well, that seems I, disproportionate I, right well I think that I think and I, little Bill says that right yeah yeah so you can't just hang them for you know for cutting somebody. Which I kind of agree with, but it's kind of kind of a cold thing to say. <laughs> well, I mean, he didn't he didn't kill anybody. Like right. the death penalty is extreme. <laughs> right. Plus, yeah. as Yoel I, pointed out earlier, oh god, she, she was asked. I like that I'm again in the position of defending the guy who cut off his <laughs> three. You you think the main victim here is uh, quick quick Mike? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, I mean, it's a I, unique I, take on the movie. <laughs> Listen, I think it's a horrible thing, obviously, but I, I don't think death is. Uh, I think death is disproportionate. Yeah, yeah okay, fair enough. I mean, uh, yeah, a good, a good bullwhipping and maybe something that would do some permanent damage. Because right, part of the no, problem I mean, is it's permanent damage to Delilah. Right. I think it would permanently scar his back. I mean, if you if you look at what caning does to people, like yeah, that leaves permanent but, marks, right? But permanently scarring your back if you're a cowboy versus permanently scarring your face if you're a hooker. I mean, okay, well, I mean, you know, walking. you're never going to get the punishment to fit the crime exactly, but I think, you know, severe pain and uh, lifelong, you know, deformation, I, I think that's... Right, right. Agreed, agreed. Agreed. It would be ni- yeah. All I'm saying is it'd be nice if the bullwhip, like, lashed the face, just uh, just a little touch of the Maybe face. they could I, whip I him in the face a little, yeah. just, you know, once or twice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, but then the, the first question is, why is... Why do the, the the prostitutes all want Davy dead? He didn't really do anything. In fact, if anything, he was trying to stop uh, he was trying to stop his partner from doing any more harm. So and first, yet, the first scene in which I, I'm actually starting to to think this this movie is more morally complex than than the, the westerns I'm used to is extremely is that, so is that scene where where. Um, it's it's already clear that Davy's trying to do the good thing when he brings back. Uh, oh yeah, I want to talk about that. Yeah, scene. yeah. So so this is where where but but earlier on in the point that you were mentioning, it's clear to me that that the the prostitutes are not the the blameless victims here. Not to side with Yoel about how prostitutes. <laughs> oh God! Work. You know the especially the 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 I don't know what the oldest one or the the leader of the pack is is she's kind of harsh. She's she's kind of mean she wants them to both she wants them to be hanged and well she's also but she's doing it i think there's something there's a good cause also at play here which is she wants to send a message that this yeah. is not how you can treat women women aren't property women can't be bargained for horses right. you, she takes insult that they're being a trade for horses like we're not horses that said why not just say you can i, I want quick mike dead that's a that's a separate question i think yeah is there a justification for it in your mind? I'm, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. Um, and it's interesting that in the in the film, nobody ever says, "Hey, wait a minute, 
you know, this guy was just basically a, not even a bystander. He tried to do the right thing, right? I know, the he, kind he of thing... He tried to stop the assault. The kindest thing that ever happens to him is is when Clint Eastwood is like, get him some water and we won't shoot. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Get him some water, god damn it. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, 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 you're right. It is never mentioned once yeah. that right. he didn't do it. It's, it's never mentioned at, in any way that, that one of them is more at fault than the other. It would be like you're trying to shoot somebody, I'm trying to wrestle the gun away. Yeah, and then and you're like, you know, How because dare you we came there fun. together, it's like you know, you're both equally right. How dare you be my friend, right. Chandler? In your in your perusal of the cross cultural literature, I'm sure you found a way to defend this. In, this well, I don't find a way to defend it, but because it's not my culture, but it's very common. I mean, this would I'd say in many cultures and in you know most honor cultures, this is the kind of phenomenon that you see a lot this collective responsibility collective punishment now even there though there is mention there is a distinction between the true offender and somebody who's just connected to the offender i mean it's not like they're they're blind to uh any distinction whatsoever it's just you know i think from our perspective little davy did nothing wrong and he doesn't deserve anything if anything he deserves a little kindness because he tried to do the right thing and he, and he tried to even atone for it. I mean, we're going to get to the scene because I think that that scene where he tries to give the horse to Delilah, his best horse to Delilah, is really, really interesting. Right. Um, but even before then, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to understand, uh, certainly from our perspective, that he's at fault at all. And even from the perspective of cultures that practice more collective res- uh, responsibility and have those kinds of norms, it, the fact that it, it's literally never, it's just never brought up. And right. it's never, it, no, no character in the movie at any point questions it. And that, I think, I don't know, it, you, you could know, think it, maybe it's a fault of the movie or maybe it's another I don't know. way I mean, that I think justice is kind of thrown up in the air. In I think movie. it's kind of the theme of the movie. I, I, I think that it's, that it's totally done on purpose, that it's never mentioned. And I think that it's played up by the fact that the guy who plays Davy has this sort of baby face, innocent yep. look about him. And the guy who's quick Mike is like, you know, this sort of high testosterone looking bearded, bearded man. And that so, guy. so it really, really hurts to see Davy hurt combined with his innocence and his, and, and his boyish good look. And he, it, and he dies in a terrible way, shot in the gut. Shot in the gut, uh, which from all the Western trying to know, crawl like away. The, yeah, it's like the worst way yeah. to die, right? Like the. So let's talk about that scene because I think there's a lot of really interesting things going on. So what happens in the scene is that Davy, in addition, they give them the five horses, and then Davy wants to give his best pony to Delilah, not to the owner of the brothel. He just right. gets those five horses. He wants to just give it to Delilah as a kind of sort of compensation for it. And what's really interesting to me about this scene is that Delilah seems really open yeah. to yeah, accepting like totally. the pony. Yeah, totally. She's like, oh, that's, that's, that's kind of good. It's, it's the that's he- sweet. It's the and, of- and then uh, the other prostitutes, uh, they say, you can't give a pony. She's not going to accept a pony after what you did to her face. And they start throwing rocks at him. And he ends up having to take the pony away. Because, and then there's a shot of Delilah as that pony is riding away with Davy. 
and all the whore, the other prostitutes are angry, throwing rocks. That that she just looks so sad, and nobody's consulting her. I and know. She's nobody the asks her what she wants. Nobody asks her what she wants. In fact, she's the least sort of retributive of all the prostitutes. At but no point does she say, "I want that guy dead," or "I want them." You know, nobody's asking her. Nobody cares about the actual victim except as as like a symbol. For something that for was their, wrong that was happening, right? For their quest, like no, that's a that's a really good point, and I and and yet again makes this movie more complex than I ever thought at first glance. Which is, you know, justice is set in motion in a weird way where the victim is not even not even that no one bothers to ask her what she wants. Like no, it's it's so nobody consults her, and you know, this is something that people have said about our criminal justice system. This is starting to change with victim impact statements being required now in all felony cases, or not required, but it's required that it be an option for the victim. But even that, I mean, the the victim often gets marginalized, and justice is supposed to occur without any consultation with the actual people who suffered from the offense, and this is a great symbol of that. Nobody bothers. Everyone's so indignant uh, about what happened, nobody bothers to ask the victim what she wants, and she wanted that pony, and she doesn't right. want little David to die. Right. You know, I don't even know if she wants the quick Mike to die. Right, right. Uh, you know, there's a, there's another interesting part of the the this scenario, the, the offense that they take at, at having horses traded for for the harm done to prostitutes, and, and there's there's work in in social psychology on on these sort of trade offs that are Putting a price on something like harming someone for life like that, it seems, it's a tricky thing to do. So, the, But the law has to put a price on it. But here's Davey. Like, the only thing that he has to offer, his most valuable cherished possession, is a pony. And here they are taking offense. Like, how dare you compare us to horses? Right? Right. But, like, what is he supposed to do? You know, we got to put a price. It's like the law has to put a price on damages. Like, if you lose a limb at work. Like they have to put a price on it. Everybody wants to yeah. think that this that this is like com- completely like my arm was worth infinity. How dare you give me one hundred twenty three thousand dollars for it, right? <laughs> but yeah. like, what you know? What else are you supposed to do? Like, <laughs> well, they, they they want him hurt. You know, right. they they want him whipped at least. And yeah. When little Bill is like, well, I find him already. You know, right. I, I'm making them pay these ponies. They they were not happy with that answer, and that right. that does seem unsatisfying. Right, it you does know? seem. Like, it's like it's like you could. It's like almost like it's like buying out like environmental. Uh, what should we call it? Like those, like when you can pay for like polluting pollution credits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's or, like okay, or, as long as I have a horse in the stable, I can cut up a whore. <laughs> Right, right, or or the way people are getting mad now that banks are settling for various illegal things that they did. Right, um, right. It's like you know, normal people go to prison. These people just pay a few billion dollars, which is like you know, pocket change to them. Right, and they right. get away with yeah. it. You know, we. I'm sure if it's like, do you want the fine or or should we maybe publicly flog a few CEOs? <laughs> I think a lot pot? of people would be like CEO flogging, definitely. <laughs> oh I, God, yeah. You know, but, but in this case, especially, and it's really interesting that Davy is the one to give her the pony because, again, in this case, this is not something that he did, and so it seems from our, you know, as as the viewer, like a really sweet, you know, and it's also you get the sense that it's a big deal for him to give. Her, right, you know, right. it's a lot for him to give her his best pony. No. It's just such a sad. It's it's just justice 
all these forces are making it so hard for justice to get done in this movie. Just everything's working against a kind of satisfying resolution to all these to, to, to this kind of issue. Because right. I, I think the prostitutes really they are offended and they're rightly so, as, as you all pointed out. Right. You don't you don't compensate someone with a pony. And yet in this situation, it's sort of he was going it, above it, and it beyond. And Delilah, importantly, wanted wanted the pony, and it would have been really nice for her to have the pony. And in the end, everybody gets nobody's happy. Uh, those guys are not punished. Delilah doesn't get her pony and is running off. Davy doesn't feel like he did the right thing. You know, he doesn't get a, get get to feel a little bit of redemption for whatever his role was in the whole thing. You just get the cow trip to the face. Which yeah, is a form, exactly. it's a form of justice that just isn't really exercised frequently enough, I think. It's, yeah. So along comes long, the pig farmer. Right. God, we haven't even talked about Clint Eastwood yet. Should we take a quick break? Farmers should be easy killing them. Let's suppose they don't go on down to Texas first. How long has it been since you fired a gun at a man, Will? Nine, ten years? Eleven. Easy, huh? Well, I don't know that it was all that easy even back then. When we was young and full of beans. I mean, if you was mad at him, Will, I mean... If they've done you some wrong, I can see shooting them. We've done stuff for money before, Ned. Yeah. We thought we did. All right, so what these fellas do? Cheated cards? Steal some strays? Spit on a rich fellow? What? No, they cut up a woman. What? Yeah, cut up her face, cut her eyes out, cut her fingers off, cut her tits. Okay, welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. So, uh, so Pig Farmer, right? This is one of the... Uh, you got to give credit to Clint Eastwood for, for presenting himself in such a vulnerable light. He's herding pigs with two kids, and he's falling all over the mud. And uh, not only <laughs> <He> that's... <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he just looks so incompetent <laughs> while he's so, doing it. And he looks older than... He looks as old as he does now, and this was... You know what? Twenty years ago already? Was this twenty? Holy crap! No, really. Years, yeah, ninety-two. Wow. Yeah, wow. ninety-two. It's twelve exactly. This is a twentieth anniversary of. Undergiven. That is crazy. That is so crazy. It's doubly appropriate that we're doing this. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, he's in the mud. The pigs. He's he's clearly just bad at do at, at raising pigs because most of them are have some sort of the horrible fever. disease. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like every every ten seconds, they, the kids find another one with the fever. <laughs> right. Is that swine flu or? Yeah, I don't know, but they should start counting the ones that don't have the fever. Yeah, and separating. If they could just separate those, then oh, it would yeah. be more efficient. Yeah. So then uh, the Schofield kid, uh, who's great. This I, who's that actor? I don't even know. I don't uh, know. I don't think I've ever seen him again. Uh, he comes up and he proposes to to money. They hunt down these two guys and kill them because they're going to get a thousand dollars from the prostitutes. Right, and the crime was that they that they had uh, cut up a woman 
right? They'd they'd cut out cut out her eyes and and her ears and her her breasts and <laughs> her teeth. Her teeth, and, right? So so let's go feel kids. Somehow and, and so somehow this this is important, right? Because the moral outrage to take money to kill somebody uh, it, it helps to think that the crime was especially severe. Yeah, no, in fact, that's the only thing that makes him that and the fact that he needs money for his kids. Uh, that's the only thing that makes him do it because his wife, he, he was a, a, you know, this is a very classic trope from a Western, right? He, he used to be this assassin, that he used to be this great gunfighter, but then he married and his wife get, got him to stop drinking. Women make you soft. Stop killing. Yeah. Yeah. Although somehow my wife has has yet to make me stop drinking. <laughs> <laughs> my friend once said if his wife ever tries to get him to not take another drink or something like that, he always tells her, don't make me choose between you and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's all this research showing that men who are married live longer than men who aren't. And yeah. and I think at first people people like to attribute this to some sort of like, this squishy emotional like oh you know when your heart has love then you live longer but the truth of the matter is that that at least when i was married i ate regularly you know i didn't i didn't engage in such self-destructive behavior and it's just sort of you know being harassed into daily routines of of health no that's absolutely right how do how do they rule out reverse causality in those studies do you know (laughs) I don't know that they have. It seems to you me mean, if you're like, you know, a sickly drunk, then maybe nobody wants to marry you. Then nobody wants to marry you. That's what I've always wondered about the happiness, uh, the happy, that married people are happier. So there, there you can do like, you can track the same people over time, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's actually, Bella DePaulo has a lot of stuff about how this, they, they really, there's a lot of those comparisons are invalid. So they'll compare, you know, like people who are married to people who are, you know, divorced. And that right. does, that seems like the wrong comparison. They should be comparing comparing the married people to the non-married people who don't want to be married. We're like, no, right. marriage isn't for me. You know? Yeah. See, the thing is that this is the stuff that we want to believe. You know, marriage makes you yeah. happier and healthier. And so when somebody totally. tells you, oh, a study shows you're like, oh yeah, makes sense. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like all the studies that show that caffeine is good for you. I like it so quick to, <laughs> so quick or the to red wine or yeah. heroin, for example, great for blowjobs. <laughs> So uh, can I just a little aside about the Schofield kid? There's this rule that I think is is a, I, th- I think it should be cross cultural and universal, which is you can't really give yourself a nickname, and uh, and you can, and you can't bra- yep. <laughs> you can't brag about your own nickname. Yep, uh, it's clear Schofield kid has given himself a nickname. Yep. Well, it's the worst kind of bust. <laughs> it's the worst. From that no, moment on, you just realize this kid is just a poser, you know. Yeah, that's exactly. He, he's a poser, and he and, and he's the worst kind of poser because he's also kind of content. He tries to at times be contemptuous of like the real actual gunfighters, right? You know, right. like he's, he's he's like, oh, you guys. Oh, we should talk about Morgan Freeman uh, yeah. because that's where they go next. And we should really talk about. Can you ever go wrong with Morgan Freeman in your movie? Not in this movie. He's great. And he's married to it's hard, a... Na- it's hard Native to go American. wrong. He, it's so hard to be such a... I mean, there are very few people who are just as likable on screen mm-hmm. as Morgan Freeman. I, I don't... And I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. I don't think there's anybody. Has I mean, even Jimmy Stewart... Yeah, so what is, what is his motivation for saying yes? Just that money tells him, you know, they cut up this woman horribly... How awesome is his his uh, engine wife Sally? Yeah, 
there's some comment he makes there when when Clint Eastwood is talking about how his wife gave him the the evil eye. Yeah, but yeah. she's you know she's, she's an Indian, in- so she's not friendly. <laughs> yeah, right. he goes. He says something like, "She's Indian. They're not taken to friendliness. <laughs> right. They're not too prone to friendliness." <laughs> And she's just stone faced. Yeah. Uh, and you know she's right. probably Inuit. You know she's like, <laughs> like got paid to play like a Native American. <laughs> all right, so so uh, so they all they set out now to hunt these guys and and to kill them. And then we get to see English Bob. And I want to talk about this because I thought this this was having seen it now a few times. These were the scenes that I. I you know I I remember that I sort of liked them, but I was just entranced by every scene with English Bob, who's coming with his biographer. So English Bob is a guy who is supposedly a famous assassin. He's also coming to kill the two cowboys because the the all over the country they've heard about this bounty, and he's got this biographer with him who's just sort of fawning all over him. Boshi, you know, dude, Boshi, I just yeah. I just remembered what that guy is from. So the biographer, his name, the actor's name is. Is uh, Saul Rubinek, and uh, he I knew he was a he, Jew. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> he's in. Well, you know, I I'm gonna keep my mouth closed about you that topic. For... <laughs> um, he he was in um, True Romance. He's he's like this just just super shyster movie producer, um, and and he's very dislikable in that role as well. Is that, is that like a racial slur? Shyster? Shyster. Yeah, it sounds like it is, I right? I feel like it Damn, is. Damn, it's, it's like yeah, a... Nice. It, I think Once it's just again. the challenge... <laughs> I just thought challenge. maybe after last week the anti-Semitism would the be anti-Semitism a little Semitism. under wraps. Well, not purged, but just that it would, you know, like the kind of obvious... <laughs> anyway, uh, the it, it, Richard Harris and his sort of... It's like a little mini-movie almost. What he, he starts out, he's really kind of... He's boasting... He's bombastic. He has a he has a very funny line about why you have to have a king or a queen because nobody's going to shoot a king or a queen. Yeah, imagine uh, standing there with a gun, getting ready to shoot shoot a king or a queen. Like how nervous you'd get. But and this is right after Lincoln was shot. And, you go, uh, and then he says, "But Garfield. the president? Oh, is it Garfield? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It's Garfield. Uh, but the president? Why not shoot the president? It's uh, so it's, I'm actually." I'm not sure why I love English Bob, but I'm not sure what his purpose is in this movie. What uh, so aside here, from it is it is like a mini movie, but I, aside I from the rise and fall of English Bob, I think it is the symbol of what this movie is going after, which is the myth versus reality, and the myth of English Bob versus the crushing reality of English Bob. Like, when he, he's coming in, he's so full of himself. And when he's leaving, he's just a deranged, crazy guy with a crooked gun, uh, like a bent-up gun that's yep. just shouting, about, it's just literally shouting like some guy, uh, like some homeless drunk guy on a, on a soapbox, like, like clearly, like vir- virtually insane. And it's that arc of sort of our, the myth of who we see as these great gunfighters versus what they actually are that I think is, you know, it's, it's reflective of a lot of the themes of this whole movie. Right. I mean, so he's, he's you know, in, the, in those opening scenes, you're almost ready to view this as a regular Western where maybe you'll have a, a shootout between two yeah. legendary gunfighters. And if anything, like their legends will increase. And so when you first meet English Bob, you're like, 
he has a cool name. He has a cool backstory. He shoots pheasants like there's no tomorrow, right? And, like, so clearly he has great aim. And so you're like, wow, this was a legendary dude. And then, and then all of a sudden he's just, just laid flat. So little Bill hears that, that he's in, and, and, and he didn't turn in his gun which is now the town ordinance that you have to turn in your gun. And he comes and just kicks the shit out of English Bob. Just I know, that's a hard scene to watch, living crap. It's a really hard scene to watch, and it's hard for everybody there to watch. And then brings him to his jail. And this is, I think, just one of the f- most hilarious scenes. He's reading the book that the biographer, that Beauchamp has written. He keeps <laughs> calling him the duck of death. <laughs> I uh, love so that. <laughs> Yeah. The duck, uh, duck, <laughs> the duck. I said. It sounds like a, it sounds like Yosemite Sam. And then he's reading, and I actually have the little scene that he reads here. He goes, "You have this is from the book. You have insulted the honor of this beautiful woman, Kakorin." Said the duck, "You must apologize, but Two Gun Kakorin would have none of it. And cursing, he reached for his pistols and would have killed them, but the duck was faster." And hot lead, <laughs> blazed from his smoking six guns and he just tosses out the book just completely disgusted and then he tells him what really happened that night <laughs> so so what really happened is that they didn't call him two guns because he carried two guns they called him two guns because apparently he was packing so much heat in his in his trousers if you if you catch my drift um that it was like he had a, a huge barrel. dick for our slower, <laughs> yeah. for our slower <laughs> listeners like it yeah. sort of lost me there <laughs> <laughs> it really is isn't that what Plaxico Burris did this whole movie is about is about is about dicks uh, I mean it's just, there's yeah. no there's no other way around it so he had a huge dick and he wasn't insulting the honor he of just, this woman he was just he was just killing it <laughs> he was he was just he, he was having sex with this this French prostitute who who the duck of death happened to like, <laughs> and so and the duck uh, the duck was was drunk and really angry, and uh, and so he went off to just shoot him while like like while he was unarmed he was gonna right. he was gonna shoot him but but he was drunk so he missed then he shot shot him again he was drunk so he missed finally the guy gets his gun. And it just blows up in his hand. <laughs> right, misfire. And then he just kills him unarmed. Right. And that's, that's what happened. And that's like, you know, again, it's the myth is right there in the book. And it's so divorced from reality. And I was thinking this time, it's sort, you know, it, it hit me kind of on a personal level where I, I was thinking, is that what we're like? Because especially you and me, Dave, and some of our talks on revenge and stuff like that. And we're so pro-revenge. <laughs> and we're so kind of, yeah, we, we love... We love the idea of it, right, but we love the, the the myth of it. But you know, maybe the reality is something that is so disconnected from how you know the the kind of glorifying. I mean, I don't think I, I still stand by my views on it. But but it sort of made me question whether this is something like you know that is is this what we're is this what I'm like? You know, does somebody it's, who can't separate the myth from reality? Yeah, yeah. No, I I had those same thoughts, and and the truth of the matter is, if we were ever in those experiences, if we ever had those experiences, like just the this, it's the banality of it all that really gets you. That this movie is just so good at showing you that's like, you know, the guy the guy got shot while taking a dump, you yeah. know, and and he's sitting there begging with you know sitting on the shitter, sort of saying no, no. 
and and then the guy is sort of like nervously has he, he shoots them like three times and then and and the other guy's like come on just get out of there and, and it's like the, there's no glory to this there's no yeah. Yeah. although I I, I kind of think the with the exception of maybe the end yeah we'll yeah, talk about the right, last yeah. right but we, yeah we, I'm I'm not sure that that's as clear cut as it might seem right yeah but up to but certainly up till the last point everything yeah. is just kind of a bumbling mess yeah. and, <laughs> you know nobody's good at anything that they're doing right you know right. like. Like that, uh, that uh, little Bill is such a terrible reader. I thought it was a great touch. You know, yeah. like stumbling and sounding out the words. Right, and the duck of death it was was clearly an error at first, and then it turned into and he's a joke. sticking with it. But you know, there is something. There's something deep, and I'm not. I'm not a deep enough thinker to to point to know exactly what it is. There is something deep about little Bill being a horrible carpenter, right? There is there is yeah. some deep point there. There is some yeah. some sort of metaphor. Well, yeah. I mean, everybody is bad at almost everything in this movie. You know, right. the the one thing Gene hates a terrible carpenter. He can't read well. He's really good at like beating the shit out of guys that come in with guns. That's, and he's like, not scared. There's something good about that that scene where yeah. where they're like, "Was he scared?" And he's like, "Little Bill scared." Like no, he doesn't scare, right? Oh, what about the scene where he gives he gives English the Bob the the gun? Brilliant! Oh yeah. And so what? Did, so I I had a question about that because I don't know the answer and I can't even tell from the script. So he gives him the gun, just challenges him to to just a shootout right there, and and English Bob doesn't take it. Well, first he gives it to the biographer, right? Yeah, and so the right. first thought is, well, he doesn't know whether it's loaded, right? right. So if he shoots, uh, and then uh, little Bill, uh, after he doesn't take it, opens the gun, and bullets start to fall out. And you look at English Bob; he's like, you think that he, that he's thinking, God, I should have taken the gun, but I thought it wasn't loaded. Right. But then only five bullets come out. Right. I assume that he had left the chamber empty. That's what I think too. Which is again interesting because at first you kind of admiring. Gene Hackman, Little Bill, for you know having the courage to do that, right. completely uncalled for, just to show this biographer what a pussy English <laughs> Bob really is. But then, well, at first he shows the biographer what a pussy he is. I mean, he gives the gun to, to the biographer first, right? To say I mean, it's how just hard like it is rubbing to salt in his wounds. Yeah, yeah. and right. it's a, and and again, I think that, as you guys pointed out, like it's it's tough watching these scenes because we we. That we're, there's no other option for us than to relate to the biographer. Yeah, he was definitely who I would relate to. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, could I do it? Every time I watch this, I'm like, could I do it? Oh, I probably, probably would. Yeah. No way. So how else did you relate to Beauchamp, you all? Uh, well, I felt like it was definitely like the best educated. Like in, in some ways, maybe you could say like the He's smartest – Right, like yeah, he he wrote a book at least, but he was totally incompetent. I feel like these guys, uh, albeit generally incompetent in most things, were were very good at one thing, which was killing people, and that was what counted out there. And he was like, just hopeless, just totally hopeless. Right, and right. I, if you even his writing story, was. Yeah, even his writing was... His writing uh, was, was... Well, I mean, you know, I, he was writing for a particular audience. I'm going to be generous with my attribution there. Maybe... <laughs> well, no, that. but the, the... I mean just that he... You know, his goal as a biographer is to report this guy's actual life, and he was nothing close to right. what this guy's actual life was. And right. when English Bob, he just, he just essentially you think he's becoming 
uh, Little Bill's biographer. He's like, all right, and now he's listening to a whole new set of myths. Probably. Right. Well, yeah. this is this is actually something that makes him particularly despicable. Is that he seems to switch allegiances. Right, he's like he switches to the winning team so easily yep. and so quickly. Yep. Yeah, right. that's right. He's a bandwagon fan. Right, right. But yeah. also the way he's sort of glomming onto these people who can do stuff that he can't, and then creating yeah. this narrative about you know heroes and villains. That's kind of us when we're watching this stuff as right. a yeah. sort right, of vicarious right. you know fulfillment. You know, that's what we're doing. Stuff that we could right. never do. Like if we're in that situation, we would just piss our pants. But we watch these people and we kind of build up this myth about like, oh, how amazing that must have been. You know, and that really, like, I feel like it kind of confronts you with something that like, this is, that's, that's what you're doing. That's who you're being when you buy into this. And what we want to do, and this movie is so good about sort of challenging us on that, you know, like we, you know, we start sympathizing with a certain character and then we, and then we're not sure anymore. And we want to switch to a different guy. We want to switch our allegiances. Even Clint Eastwood, you know, he's a little sort of hard to root for, even though it's Clint Eastwood. But for, you know, he goes into town while the other two are up there with the prostitutes getting a freebie. Free ones. Free one, <laughs> and and little Bill comes in there and just also just kicks the living shit out of him, and he doesn't do anything, and he's so pathetic, and he's just craw- he ends up sort of crawling out of the bar into the rain, and he's sick, he's completely, you know, he's got the f- he's got a fever, he's and and but but yeah, we want like we just it's it's Clint Eastwood for God's sakes, you know, like it, it's yeah, you uh, want him to be the man with no name and just like pull off, yeah. the, you know, like move the poncho aside and just like shoot everybody between the eyes. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I think that's that's an interesting scene because um, Little Bill had just been talking about uh, to Beauchamp. Uh, oh, I, you know, these are the kinds of people I hate. You know, they're weak. They can't stand up for themselves, essentially. And then he goes yeah. in there and he, you know, finds Clint Eastwood, who has like, you know, a, a high fever. And he's all like, ah, oh, this is exactly one of those, you know, weaklings I was I was talking about. So that's, that's obviously an error. Right, he wants to right. make this about who Clint Eastwood is as a person, and it's just like it turns out he's ill. So yeah. it, that's it's a, it's a mistake, and I think that's part of the reason that he underestimates him later. Well, yeah, although you know it's a fair mistake to make because to that point in the movie, that's who Clint Eastwood is. He's not he like like Dave was saying earlier. He keeps falling down on his horse. He can barely <laughs> right. get on his horse. Right. You know. Right. He's, yeah. To that point. He has been kind of pathetic. It's a pretty pretty ballsy movie for Clint Eastwood to have made because his Clint Eastwood's mythos as an actor, you know, was just portraying these indestructible cowboys. And so much of the the, um, the emotion that I feel in the movie when he's falling down has to do with that it being Clint Eastwood, right? Not it being money that's that's right. fallen. Mm-hmm. It being it's in my mind, it's Clint Eastwood who's fallen. Right. right. Yeah. He's but right. I feel like the whole like the whole point of the movie is to undermine this idea of global like character or ability or these are the good guys or the bad guys or the competent guys or the incompetent guys. You know, like yeah. right. right? Like everybody's we mostly realize, incompetent. Yeah, we realize that, that money can't even shoot a can. Right? Right, right. 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 at the beginning where he's like 
thing right. is Tesla get, it goes and gets and the it's, I love that. That's I'll like, a, this, yeah, you know, I will achieve this goal no matter what, right? <laughs> like, let me go get the shotgun. Right. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, and it turns out, I think the truth of, of it is that, that without alcohol, he didn't have the steel nerve to, to yeah. be a true yeah. shot, right? Like, Unless he's drunk, he, he, he's not good at it. And, that, and you get the sense that that's like how Hamler his past was, too. Yeah. <laughs> Like me with yeah. anything, well, really. Like well, so the Scofield kid asks him, right? Like, were you, were you ever scared when you killed people? And he says, I know, I was drunk most of the time. Yeah, he doesn't even remember. He doesn't yeah. even remember his escapade. <laughs> yeah. So the Schofield kid also, you know, he has he's building up this little story for himself that he's killed five people. Even at the time, you don't buy it. And right. and then it turns out later that he's never killed anybody. And the one time he does, he says, that's it. I can't do it. And Morgan Freeman also can't bring himself to do it. And he's the one good shot out of all of them. And him riding off actually ends up being what kills him. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Again, I got, I got to put in a little plug for that book on killing because it, it's such a brilliant sort of description of what it takes to kill a person um, from and, and the book is structured from sort of in terms of physical and psychological distance. So what it takes to kill somebody, it's much easier from by pressing a button, you know, a thousand miles away, all the way up to like looking them in the eye and stabbing them in the neck, right? And how difficult yeah. psychologically it is and how the task of an army or any, or any military is to actually train people to, to be able to pull the trigger when they're looking at somebody. Um, and right. it reviews all that evidence about how like most muskets in the Civil War were never fired. Um, <laughs> most uh-huh. wounds were defensive. Um, yeah. I've killed so many people that I'm over it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, how unfair is it that Morgan Freeman is the one who shows mercy, and then, like, basically as a direct consequence of that, he's the one who gets killed? Right. So yet another case of there, there is no justice. Yep. There is no justice. Yeah. So that's this movie. There's no justice in this movie, really. Right. You know, Delilah does isn't. When those guys get killed, they show her face. She doesn't show any satisfaction at any point. Well, let's talk about the let's talk about the outcomes of the movie after right. the break, the final scene, and and how it all wraps. been lucky when it comes to killing folks and so who was next it was client right he must have killed client well could have been deputy andy wasn't he or, or, or... all i can tell you is who's going to be last i don't deserve this to die like this i was building the house Deserves got nothing to do with it. I'll see you in hell with your money. Yeah. 
let's talk about the the final scene and what leads to it. This is after the two have been killed and particularly humiliating as as Yoel said one guy while he was taking a shit another guy shot in the gut and crawling and no none of his friends having the courage to bring him water at first. Right. Uh, and then, but Morgan Freeman is not a part of it because he's already left. And because he already left, he's the one that gets tracked down and brought back to Little Bill. You know, and, and then he gets he gets bull whipped in a really sort of difficult scene to watch. Like yeah. very difficult. It's hard just because it's Morgan Freeman to watch Morgan Freeman suffering. It's also hard because it's like there's it's this such an iconic slavery image. Yeah, right, that getting right, whipped. Absolutely. And and it's weird that there's never mention of Morgan Freeman being a black man. No, they don't bring right? it up. I mean, this like is 20 that. years after the you know, the Civil War, right? Right. Is right. That, so, that, so Morgan Freeman would have been a slave at some point, probably, right? Well, or well, no, he might have been lived. Yeah, it might have been in the north. But anyway, yeah, I'm not even sure he's. A, I'm, I bet it's not written in the script that he's black. It was like a colorblind decision. To, Plus, Morgan I mean, Freeman transcends race. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's God. Yeah, Morgan he's Freeman God. is God. But you're right. <laughs> seeing him whipped like that, it's a really, really uncomfortable scene. Right. And it makes me hate I, a little bit. I wanted Andy Dufresne to come over. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me that you said that uh, you always disliked Little Bill. Because I started out thinking that he was like a decent guy. You know, maybe he didn't exactly share my values. But all right. He's trying to keep order. He's trying to like make his town run smoothly. He's uh, – you know, building his house. And then I guess it's when he beats the shit out of English Bob that you start to be like, uh, wait yeah, a minute. Yeah, you're like, oh, man. Right. It's like, for, for me to sympathize with English Bob. It's, yeah, right? exactly. I mean, I, I, I'm not fond of the English. I mean, if we're going we're gonna right, to lay cards right, on the table. <laughs> this time, I, I was blown away by Gene Hackman's performance yeah, this right. time. I think it's I, sort of, like, underrated. My first experience with Gene Hackman as a, as a movie watcher was uh, Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. <laughs> yeah, I think most of ours probably was. You know what? Like, so I know him best from the Royal Tenenbaums, which is a movie that I love. So it's very, yeah. it's very weird to see him in this role. <laughs> you look like somebody I that do. would yeah, love no, the Royal Ten- Ten- Tenenbaums. Thin slicing is accurate. Yeah, so you should just wear a tracksuit. I think even even in the well, the jailhouse scene, you you could sort of kind of give him the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, well, this guy is like. Uh, English Bob, that is a really bad guy. You know, he's an assassin. Maybe in some way he got what was coming to him. And then I think at some later point they have uh, Little Bill hit one of the prostitutes. And then it's like, oh, okay. He's actually not a good guy at all. There's actually... Because in this case, they didn't have it coming, unlike... (laughs) It's never okay to hurt anybody, including women. (laughs) You know, there's no better way to make a character immediately villainous Right. Than to have him hit a woman in right. a movie. Right. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Now now I understand you're supposed to be a bad guy. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So he kills him. He's whipping him. And at first, Morgan Freeman won't tell them where he is. But he, this is, again, even this is sort of a myth. You know, you think he's going to die never saying anything about the whereabouts of, of, of his friend. No. By the end, he's hurt so bad that he talks and he tells them where they are and then dies afterward. We don't even get that. We don't even get that part of the kind of glorification of any, like, friendship. Uh, They're all partners. I'll never sit. I'll never tell you anything. Like, you know, he's capable of being tortured to the point where he'll talk. 
And then he dies, and they put him up in the bar, in the front of the bar, uh, on the outside of the saloon, like in a coffin, saying, this is what we do to assassins. Yeah, once again, you're right, and sort of de- de- the demythification. Um, and uh, there's another part, you know, in the, sh- final, in the final showdown, where Clint Eastwood, where money walks in, and, and he shoots the, the saloon owner, the, the pimp, the, and he shoots him unarmed. And this is another time when I think, okay, well, there was this, there was this, you know, honor amongst thieves, sort of, there's a code that you don't shoot an unarmed man. <laughs> and there's, yeah. Clint Eastwood's like, well, fuck that. <laughs> you should have you know, he, he, he armed himself. Him. That's the first thing, that's the first thing he does. He goes into the, this is after he found out that they killed Ned. He's drunk. He comes in. He's like, you can barely see his face anymore. The first thing he asks is, who owns the saloon? And he just shoots him. You know, and you get, and you get to, the, uh, to, to the realization that, that alcohol for money is like spinach to Popeye. Like, all of a yeah, sudden, he turns into the badass. badass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first time he's been really good at anything. He's been a bumbling kind of idiot for the whole movie. Or almost endearing in how pathetic he is. We didn't and then see- he just drinks, and all of a sudden, yeah, you're right. That's a good <laughs> yeah. analogy. It's spinach for Popeye. We didn't even, by the way, talk about what it seems pretty irresponsible to leave, like, two young children yeah, alone seriously. in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> That part always gets me. He's like, take care of your sister. It's like telling a nine-year-old to take right. care of an eight-year-old. Right? Like and then he says, like, try to look in on him in a, in a couple of weeks. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I think they had enough food for five days. <laughs> if I go, like, across the street, you know, to, uh, while Eliza's here by herself, I could get arrested. Right. I'm not sure whether that speaks to the softness of parents nowadays or just to the callousness. It definitely of speaks. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in between is the right balance. Right. Like, <laughs> so let's talk about this scene. So now he's, he's, he's got his spinach, and he shoots the saloon owner. Uh, you want to say his line? It's a great line. He goes, you, and then Gene Hackman says, you just shot an unarmed man. You're a coward. Yeah, so, so then he says... He should have armed himself if he was going to decorate his saloon with my friend. Which is a great line. <laughs> a good comeback. <laughs> this is, I mean, you know, this is what we've been waiting for the whole movie is like these cool kick-ass lines, yep. you know, like all of a sudden the legend is back. Well, okay, but hold on. So, so he, he singles out little Bill and he, he tries to shoot him, but his gun misfires. So then he has to he has to go back to plan B of shooting them I guess with a different gun. So but yeah. I, I love that they throw that in there. It's like it never exactly works the way you would you know, the way you would right. think or the way you would picture it. It's like, oh no, that didn't that misfired. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So they think they have the yeah. drop on him, but then he, he just murders them all. Yeah. yeah. In in a very kind of man with no name kind of way. Just like bang, 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 and all of a sudden these guys are all dead. Right. Uh we should, we should say, for those of you who don't know the reference, The Man With No Name refers to the Clint Eastwood character in, in a trilogy of spaghetti westerns that is, uh, what is a Fistful of Dollars? A few um, dollar, for a few dollars more. And The Good, The Bad, and The, the Good, ugly. The Bad, and The Ugly, right? Yep. Yeah. That's sort of like us. <laughs> Let's not talk about who's who. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, those are great, by the way. I mean, I, 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 my, I think probably my favorite is A Fistful of Dollars, but they're all really, really good. All, I, ironically directed by an Italian, Sergio Leone. I know, right. yeah. And it's really funny to watch those movies, and there's like, Italian actors 
and it's their their lines are dubbed. But the first I, I, time I bought, I bought a fistful of dollars and I threw it away because I thought this this is like there's they fucked up the audio. <laughs> you know, yeah, like I know. it's mistimed. Right. Uh, right. All right, so, so, so we get to, we get to see the writer begging for his life, and he, he doesn't kill the writer. He does no, not. He doesn't. But but the writer thinks he's been shot, right? But it's the blood of it's somebody else's oh, blood. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's <blood>. awesome. That's <laughs> 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 so it so hurts. Because it's totally me. Like, like it's such like, a oh little God, wuss, oh and I know I'd be like, "Oh no, oh God, I'm dead." <laughs> I want to say that I want to give myself at least a little chance at not being quite that sure. bad. I do too, but I'm just, you know, as a psychologist, <laughs> yeah. I know that I overestimate my own abilities here. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! Then the, there's a famous line. So he goes. He sh- he's about to shoot little Bill, which is what he came to do. He came to kill little Bill. All right, well, let's just say the line, because it's a very famous line. Little Bill says, I, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I'm building a house. Uh, <laughs> that's a great, yeah. That's a great line right there. <laughs> but then Clint Eastwood says, deserves got nothing to do with it. And right. A couple interesting questions. Uh, first, do you think he deserved to die in spite of the fact that he was building a house? Yeah, for, just for killing Morgan Freeman. Come on, right, right. I think that's, but that's the, that's it, right? I mean, I, I so I mean, it's hard to say that anybody deserves to to die in that sense. Like, well, do we know, believe it was unintentional? Like, did he mean to kill him? I don't know, but I feel like if you by mistake flog someone with a bullwhip <laughs> one too many times, then like you know maybe it's second degree. I just think death <laughs> seems extreme. Again, I feel like death is extreme. Uh, oh, yeah. see, I don't. I, I have to say, I think it would have been a very unsatisfying ending at the more kind of primitive level if Gene Hackman, if he had just walked away and let Gene Hackman. Oh, yeah, no, of course, in terms of the movie, it would have been a lousier movie. No, but even, like, unsatisfying, like, as Dave says, you don't kill Morgan Freeman. That <laughs> Even by not, mistake. Even, even especially by not mistake. in a way that evokes slave, images of yeah. slavery. You can't kill God. That's, uh, and get away with this. So, plus he tortured him to death. I yeah, mean, but, Jesus Christ. But I do agree with Yoel that it's not it's it's not so clear cut. In fact, like I mean, I personally find it satisfying that he kills him. But I also find it satisfying in this sort of <clears throat> Clint Eastwood is a badass. All of a sudden, Clint Eastwood turns into the villain that you know he was in his former life. He doesn't seem like the hero just out for justice. He seems like you know he had a few drinks and he's out for indiscriminate revenge. And well, no, wait a minute. He's avenging the death of his friend. I know. That's something I, I, virtuous about that. I'm so I agree that the goal is virtuous, but there is a there is a way in which in which at least the director is trying to communicate to us that what what Clint Eastwood has to do to exact revenge is become sort of this this drunk, former, villainous self. So he becomes a bad guy in those moments. So he shoots all of those guys dead, and then and then he shoots, you know, he shoots the unarmed man, shoots all those guys dead. I don't think we're supposed to be so excited about what Clint Eastwood has had to do, or had to be, what he had to become in order to satisfy his, the justice. Or at least we should question why we're so into it. Right, 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 right. I, I think we're definitely supposed to question why we're so into it, but uh, it's... It's complicated because the only people he kills are the saloon owner, 
for decorating. Again, kind of understandable. And then the other men all tr- were trying to shoot him. He yeah, doesn't right. kill. Right, so, but, but you know, also at he, least according to the code of the Western, you're allowed to shoot somebody if some, they're trying to shoot sure, you. But he put himself in that situation, right? He could have just gone home. He decided to go in there knowing, I'm sure, that he'd have to kill a bunch of people uh, in yeah. a shootout. It's funny because there is a sense that I have that there is a way in which Clint Eastwood could have gone in there sober during the day and done like a shootout where, like the old school style Western shootout where high it's noon, just pure, kind of yeah, high noon, pure aim and like glorified justice. There's something about the way that the the writer or the director makes us realize that what Clint Eastwood has to do in order to fulfill that goal is get himself pissed drunk, walk in, in under the cover of night, shoot a shoot an unarmed man. Like he didn't have to make him unarmed. Right, probably was any saloon owner would have had like a gun in his holster. There's no good reason not to. Um, yeah. And so, so we have to sort of. I, I think that we're supposed to lament what Clint Eastwood has had to become for us to be satisfied. And and also the you know he has to he it really is sort of painting him just the 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 visuals of it. His face is constantly shrouded. There's like darkness all around. You know, it's 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 like Luke Skywalker at the beginning of uh, of Return of the Jedi or Empire, whichever one. Like, uh, normally he'd be wearing white, but then he walks in with a veil. Like uh-huh. right, and then and then when he afterwards after he kills little Bill, he starts just threatening the women and children of the town. If they don't bury, if they don't bury Ned, if they don't right. bury Morgan Freeman, right. uh, which is right. very. Which is, <laughs> Somebody <laughs> takes a shot at me. I'll come kill you. I'll kill your family. I'll kill your right. friends. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. What do you make of Deserves Got Nothing to Do With It? Yeah, so I it's such a good line and and I and I think the, the pseudo intellectual version of me which is oh like there is no we're all just, you know, feathers blowing in the wind and the, there is no such thing as justice. And I don't think that that's the right that I don't think that's the right take home for this. So it could be that he's just being a nihilist about it. But I don't think he's being a nihilist. I think that he's... Because why do it at all, then? Right, exactly. I think that that he's saying, I appreciate that there are circumstances completely beyond our control here, right? That there is moral luck, right? There there is, just like like, uh, uh, Quick Mike's friend, uh, Davey, um, probably didn't deserve it. But, oh well, you know, he, he aligned himself with the wrong character. Little Bill, you know, he's building a house. He probably, you know, probably could have avoided the situation. Uh, and maybe he doesn't, doesn't sort of in this strict liability sense deserve to die at this moment. Oh, well, fuck it. That's not, that's not what I'm after, right? I'm after this sort of, in the grander scheme of things, my justice doesn't require that you be responsible in that sense. Yeah, I think it's really think, about, sorry. Uh, yeah, did I go ahead, no. Go ahead. About revenge and revenge not being about deserving this, revenge being about the feelings of the person who, who's vengeful, right? So, right. like, in the same way that uh, Delilah would have preferred the horse, but that wasn't important. Uh, what was important was that her, you know, prostitute colleagues wanted vengeance. You know, they, they wanted that in order to feel better. And I, right, I think, and it's, sorry, go ahead. It's weird. But, yeah, no, you just, I want you to keep talking because it's a good, it's a good point because, like, there is the sense in which justice all of a sudden becomes, the task of the of the of the group of the of the collective and it's no longer really just about you right yeah yeah that's right nobody avenges what happens to them everyone's avenging sort of what happens to 
to somebody else. Is it in every case of this movie that that whenever justice is meted out, that that it was never the case that the person, the victim, wanted? It was never driven by the victim. There's this. You even get the sense that Morgan Freeman might not have wanted him to do that. Yeah, I think he wouldn't have. I think he would have said, "Go home to your kids." Yep. Because <laughs> they're probably dead. Like, <laughs> whatever fever was killing the pigs. <laughs> okay, so that's the bleeding heart liberal academic version of what that means. Watch uh, your words. You know, this isn't about justice. This is about my feelings, and this is why revenge is bad. And 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 ultimately, no, 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 no never wait, 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 wait. I never got to that second part. Oh. I actually don't think that that's why revenge is bad. I actually, there's a way in which it's feeding my need for justice too. Uh, I just think that that revenge is sloppy in a in a non bleeding heart liberal kind of message. It's I don't I don't take away from this that therefore we should not be vengeful. Oh, really? I think it's that. I yeah, this this movie reads like a, I don't either. Wow, to me this the, the the whole point of the movie is we need you know uh, a criminal justice system and police departments and gun control because people can't be trying to handle this shit themselves but here's why I think Yoel that it's more complicated than that because two things by the end Gene Hackman I guess you didn't feel this but I think most people felt like he did deserve to die and that justice was done when Clint Eastwood shot him. Even if he says deserve has got, got nothing to do with that, that we're pretty happy that justice was done. We don't feel in this case, unlike a lot of the other cases in the movie, we don't think that this is a miscarriage of justice, Gene Hackman getting killed. And I think that's part of why Morgan Freeman was cast, right? Uh, if Maybe if it had been somebody else, we wouldn't feel that way. But when he kills Morgan Freeman by whipping him to death, that's pretty much you've lost any right to live anymore. And if somebody wants to kill you, you definitely have that coming. I think that's probably – that's my sense and I bet a lot of people share that with me. So that's why I think that that's – I don't know. If that's the message, it's it's not that clear cut that that's the message of the movie. What well, that's, consistent, that's consistent with what Yoel said that there should be a way for for Gene Hackman to to get punished that doesn't involve – Clint Eastwood having to get sloppy drunk and go into the saloon. Shoot a bunch of other people. And it, it's like, like a criminal justice system where he goes on trial and then, you know, after 15 years gets the death penalty, maybe, if his appeals don't work. Well, and he, that, I mean, but that's to be not, fair, that's not, that's I'll not let UL defend himself, but I don't think any part of what UL said requires an inefficient justice system. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, you added that in there. And, and besides, like, why then is the response deserves got nothing to do with it? Why isn't it... Let me outline for you why you deserve to die. No, that, that's, good a point. Good, that's a good point. This is why I think it's really complicated. I don't know what to make of that line. I also, the line before, I remember talking with William Ian Miller about this. I don't deserve this. Hey, I'm building uh, a house. Well, watch out. Oh, no. there's, there's names dropping. Watch out. Yeah, I, I don't know who Move that your is. head. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, it's not name dropping. <laughs> Probably most people don't know who that is. No, it's a, a, a well-known uh, – he's a uh, professor of law at Michigan, uh, writes on revenge and honor. But he said it's a really interesting choice to have him say, I don't deserve this. I'm building a house. If he had said, I don't deserve this. I had a troubled childhood or you know, <laughs> I, was, I was abused as a child or you know, I was the victim of violence you know, from my, fam- uh, my dad or something like that, then – 
that we would be thrown a little bit more into kind of oh well I didn't you know now now there's mitigating factors, but I'm building a house like badly building a house right. just right. is so is so preposterous as an excuse for so, why he doesn't deserve to die that again it sort of undercuts the idea that we're, justice isn't somehow served by what happens. So can I give a here's my my immediate. Uh, again, what will sound, what strikes me as total pseudo pseudo philosophical deep thought for the day, um, yeah. that that Gene Hackman is is the person to which uh, Unforgiven is re- is referring to. Like that that is the title. Um, it's not it's not that Clint Eastwood is Unforgiven. It's and Gene Hackman stands for something more. So Gene, there's the He's the architect of a, he's a sloppy architect of a house and the sloppy architect of, of a justice system in a community, and that community is it, it all sort of falls on on Gene Gene Hackman for being not not malicious but inept at creating a, having created a world in which this can happen, and uh, and this is here's the the shitty pseudo philosophy part that that this is. An indictment of of God as the supreme architect of the world. That in fact, to have allowed such crappy, messy, sloppy existence, where we have this desire for justice, but but it can never really be meted out in the way that we want it to be, is is just it shows the ineptitude of the the architect of this world. How's that? Is that deep or what? Whoa! Damn! Did I do <laughs> that? Uh, I know. The only thing he prepared us for it is by he lowered his voice. He's like, "Here's what I'm going to (laughs) say." Well, you know what made me think of it is. No, I think that's interesting. uh, There there is this. There's. There's always. There's this uh, view of God as the architect, right? And and, uh, it's this very popular view of of what the creator was. And there are these. William Blake always had these images of, it, it, you might recall this image of God at, as a, the designer of the universe, and he has like a, um, like a, a compass and a square, and he's, he's the architect of the universe. And that's what I thought of when Gene Hackman is like trying to build a house, but he doesn't have any, he does, there's not one right angle in the whole, right, in the whole house, remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, and you know, what you, the first part of what you said I really liked, because He's so inept at creating an environment where everyone feels that justice was done. So his resolution to the problem of the original crime, right, which was to get them traded for horses, satisfies nobody. And it leads to assassins coming to his town to take care, to to meet out the justice that he couldn't meet out properly. It was just a completely disastrous decision on his part. And it's it's it, yeah I like that I don't know about the God part <laughs> at the <laughs> end of it but I like that that the house is a is a metaphor for his ineptness at creating justice in his own town where he's the sheriff and, and, and that then, brings meaning to the to his claim like I'm building a house right I see right. that's interesting I'm building a house I don't deserve this and but that, if the house he's God the house isn't if, finished yet you didn't if he's God time. are they killing uh, I mean. Yeah, I hate to get they, that, that like, cheesy. I know, I realize it's got super cheesy that they're killing the Clint Eastwood kills God. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of that, Yoel? Uh, 
I don't know that I buy that. I, I read that, like, I'm building a house as, like, you know, I was a bad guy. I'm trying to settle down. I'm trying to do the right thing, have a normal life. Well, that's the local meaning for sure. I'm trying to find some symbological stuff. Oh, yeah. No, I mean... <laughs> yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, and, and, you know, if God created a world where all this sort of, you know, justice can't get accomplished then he could be a metaphor for that or just or you know again it's like we were talking about last time dave the camus thing with the what we want out of the out of the universe and what it gives us are so radically different we want everything to be wrapped up neatly and tightly in a nice little ball the just world and then the life being actually meaningless and messy and sloppy like you said and ultimately serving no purpose uh that's the that's the big disconnect and that's a big theme in this movie the disconnect between the, what we want and the reality right of it's what a, actually happens so what do you guys think though about the title and and i mean i was struck this time watching it that this movie is only marginally about clint eastwood i mean you go into it thinking unforgiven refers yeah, to him yeah. and his life but the movie really isn't that much about him right yeah, I think it's more generally about, you know, what the failure to forgive, what the consequences of that are. Um, and I I'm, I realize I'm risking Tamler calling me like a liberal bleeding heart again. But yeah, that's academic. Well, yeah. a, a liberal bleeding heart academic. Academic, thank yeah. you. If it, yeah. quacks, if it quacks like a duke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, nice. all, it's, it's all about, you know, uh, the, Dave's uh, on a roll. The head prostitute, the head prostitute wouldn't you know, take his appeasing pony or whatever. She was, right. she wouldn't forgive that. Um, and so those people had to die. And then Clint Eastwood right. certainly wasn't going to forgive the killing of his friend. So a bunch more people had to die. Wow. That's a very Christian interpretation for a Jew. Ha! <laughs> 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 we were there first. <laughs> but why do you say that? Because, you know, the big setup of the movie is that his wife forgave him. His redemption was through her forgiveness up till the point where he falls off the wagon again. And then once he falls off the wagon, I mean, this was one more trite interpretation. It's not as highfalutin as Dave's, but <laughs> that, 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 you know, by, by falling off the wagon and, and doing what he did, he's lost his redemption. I mean, that's right. Then the movie ends with him, you know, going home to his kids and then them moving. So it's not like he then goes on another killing spree. No, right. he goes. He he opens. It's heard that he opened uh, prosperous. Right, dry and he does goods. pretty well. So yeah, I mean, I I feel like the movie is about just these like random events and like how hard it is to predict, you know, people's character or abilities or behavior. And so much of it is just like, well, this guy happened to be there, or his gun happened to explode in his hand, or you know. So like a theme that's about, well, now he's made this like global character shift, and now he's a bad guy again. That just doesn't feel like consistent with what the movie's trying to say. Right, right, right. Yeah, this is these are blips in his life. Yep. Um, Such a fascinating movie. I love this movie. It's, it's good, uh, and, and I, I have to admit, I didn't think that we could eke out, you know, an hour and a half or two hours of conversation. I think we've been talking about this movie for like two hours at this point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, hopefully, you enjoyed this. Three guys who are not experts on film. Talk about a movie <laughs> podcast. When it sounds like that, it's hard to imagine. I did <laughs> enjoy it. Like but... <laughs> <laughs> Who in their right mind would listen to this crap? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> if you got this far, God bless you. Yeah. We'll try to do a good moral psychology classic episode next time. Well, thanks for having uh, me on, you guys. Thanks, thanks for being for on. You kept us honest. Sure. <laughs> For more information about this episode, including show notes and links, and to listen to other episodes, please visit us at www.verybadwizards.com. Just a very bad wizard.